Hello and welcome back to Unlocking the Masculine. I'm your host, Liam Withers, and I just want to say thank you so much, guys, for listening to the latest episode. It's always much appreciated, and I'm very grateful for all the continued support. On today's episode, we are joined here by Anthony Estefan. Anthony, or better known as Esty. Esty is an amazing human being. And man, I'm so glad to have you on the show today. It's when I was creating this idea, you know, we've met each other through Dream Machine and always would see you and I'm like, that there is a masculine man. And like, I know that we're just going to have such a good conversation today. And I think this might be the first time outside of Dream Machine and kind of the party scene where we've sat down and like really chatted. So yeah, it's awesome, definitely. man. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. No worries. Thanks for having me. Of course. Yeah, like I'm super excited to be here. Oh, dude, <laughs> same. We've been having a little bit of a chat before jumping on and it's really good to see you, man. It's been six months. This year it's flying by and, and you've been a, a very busy boy, so... Yeah, slightly. Same yeah. as you though. It's been, it's one of the, I think it's one of those years where we have decided to like pursue something special and mm. through doing that, it's just time has flown. It really, it has like yeah. the, it's funny, like the days just seem to kind of mold into one, but I love just getting up every day, kind of doing the same thing because mm. you just know that you're working towards a goal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's just laying the foundations for the future. So of course. Speak. Yeah. Yeah. It's really exciting. Yeah. 100%, man. And we're going to talk about a lot of topics today, you know, masculinity being one, of course. And we're going to go into your life and go into your business endeavors and even travel, everything. It's going to be really, really good, man. And the one thing just to break the ice and kind of get into the podcast today is I always love to ask each guest this first question. And that is, how would you define masculinity and what does it mean to you? This is a funny one because I, when I first heard this question in your podcast and then I saw when you asked Cal and then we were talking about it in the lead up and you're saying, I'm going to, this is the first question. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. So I was putting in some work during the week and trying to figure out the, my answer. And I really struggled to come up with a definition for masculinity and then also how without the definition, I couldn't apply anything to my life. And I think that's because... Well, for me, I don't really believe that there is an objective definition for masculinity. Mm-hmm. I think masculinity is a social construct or like a cultural construct that's been created by or within our society. It's a Western construct, but then it just differs. There's too many contrasting views. It really differs depending where you are in the world. So you know, and here the st- in Australia and the West, the stereo. I feel like the stereotype for masculinity is you know, big, macho. You're a provider. You mm-hmm. can ignore your feelings just to get the job done. You push past it, and you, know, you get up and you go again the next day. And but then in you know other places around the world, other communities, masculinity or what it is to be a male is quite the opposite. You know, some tribes around the world, men don't have any possessions. They are the caretakers within their communities. Mm -hmm. And so when reflecting on all of that, I really struggle to define it and then also apply it to myself. And because of this, because there there are so many definitions of masculinity around the world, 
we are all quite confused by it and I, that's the reason this podcast exists. That's the reason we're even still talking about it today, like how long have men or males been around for, right? Mm. The fact that we're still talking about what masculinity means is quite like insane. <laughs> so, you know, we will hear someone's definition of masculinity for us and it will, I think a lot of people look at it and they hear it and they say, oh, that's not quite right or that I don't resonate with that or it doesn't, that doesn't define me. And yeah, masculinity is so specific to the current time and place that we're in that mm. we feel these pressures that probably didn't exist. You know, if we're talking about masculinity a hundred years ago, it wouldn't have even existed then. The definition was com is completely different. And then, you know, go back another hundred years and it's completely different. Or if I want to fly away to another, the other side of the world, same thing, completely yeah. different. Even by the end of this podcast, I'm probably going to think about masculinity different to what I thought about before mm. the podcast, right? So when all of that is combined, I just don't see a way to define it or apply it to myself. And then, but there is a liberation in that as well. Mm. There is kind of like this sense of, well, if it doesn't exist, I can create my own definition for myself. And I think there's a bit of gold in that too. But then at the same time, like I was thinking about it again and I was saying, oh, but then a lot of these things I can just apply to just being a good person. Like that's all being a masculine is being a good person, right? Like, or being feminine, whatever. Like, it's just all these lessons and all these things that we're trying to be are just what it takes to be a good person in our community. So I think if we're going to try, I think if society wants to collectively define masculinity, I think it just needs to come through the lens of being the ability to help and also the ability to heal and then like heal yourself and through healing yourself, you are now going to be a better contributor to society, so to speak. But uh, yeah, that's my that's my answer. Dude, that, <laughs> I love that so much. That's which is why I think I love the question so much. It's like everyone has a different answer. Mm. Everyone has their own perspective on it. Everyone's kind of confused when asked the question because mm. it's like I don't know. Like, where do I begin? Like, what does it mean to me? Because it's man it's so conflicting out there yeah you see so many you know at the moment it's kind of about that whole like hyper masculine like kind of that andrew tate sort of vibe it's yeah. kind of on that spectrum where you know feelings aren't warranted you just need to work to death sort of thing and mm -hmm. yeah i think you're you're dead right man it's, it's healing yourself to then be able to contribute to society mm. that's that's the aim of the game right you notice that when you know, you get out of high school, you're given very minimal life skills out of high school and you're kind of like, all right, what do I do now? And I feel like in your 20s as a male, you're essentially like healing yourself to then get to the point where I feel like we're both at now where it's like, all right, cool, like let's contribute, let's make a difference in the world. And yeah, great answer, man. Big was, time. Yeah. I think, yeah, we're really in a quite a like a struggle town so to speak within society because that mm. hyper masculinity is front and center it's really mm. front and center you know we're living in the world of virality and clicks and all the rest and those are the things those really polarizing opinions are the mm. things that get clicks because you know it causes outrage and no one wants to just hear about the things that make the world a better place unfortunately so of course yeah we are in a bit of a pickle at the moment but I also think through the pickle, people are now being forced to look inwards and understand what masculinity might mean to them. 100%, so. dude. I feel like 
life works in extremes, right? So we were kind of like on the opposite end of the spectrum where it was kind of leaning towards the, the feminine side or like that was kind of like being pushed because previously the hyper-masculine was. Now Andrew Tate's come back in, it swung right back into the hyper-masculine mm. and I think people are finally being like, all right, can we find like a middle ground? Like mm. what, that's like for me when I was starting this concept, I'm like, what does balance look like? Yeah. Like what, is, what does it look like to be a balanced man? Because everyone wants to be these extremes but I feel like the goal in life is to be balanced and no one wants to like everyone's trying to ignore the fact that that's actually where you feel most comfortable. Yeah. You see so many men like forcing themselves to be something that they're not, like they're not being themselves. Yeah. And it's it's very evident at the moment, but I feel like people are starting to move towards the center. Yeah, I think so cool. too. What so for my enlightenment, what how do you define masculinity? Like what is masculine what are masculine energies and what is feminine energies? So masculine energy for me is doing. So like getting up, getting stuff done. You've got a goal, like A to B sort of thing. Like you're just like, let's get it sorted. Mm. It's very much black and white. Yeah. Whereas with the feminine, you're letting go, you're in flow. You're allowing yourself to express yourself through your emotions yep. and it's surrender. Yeah, okay. And for me, Everyone needs both of it. I, f I feel it in myself. I operate largely in that do mode where I love just having goals, get stuff done. Yeah. But dude, if I don't have that surrender, if I don't have that point where I'm letting go, yeah, I'm burnt out very, very quickly. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. So for me, it's like if I simply put it, that's how I define yeah, okay. both those energies. Because I think if we're... I think to the extreme of masculinity, then you go to like this toxic, toxic masculinity. Mm. And because toxic masculinity, that is the output of when you ignore, I guess, these feminine energies that you're speaking about. Mm -hmm. When you don't take the time to look inwards and reflect inwards. And then the, the output of that is this toxic, the toxic masculinity that. Mm. Uh, so would you, would you say. Itself. Yeah. Would you say that. So this is one of the questions I was toying with this week. Would you say that masculinity in itself is toxic or do you think it's when it gets to the extreme end of it? Is that when that kind of that term, the, the lovely term that I love so much, yeah. the toxic masculinity, do you think it's when you're actually just being unbalanced? Is that when it gets toxic for the individual? I think, I think any, any social construct is toxic like just inherently i think that when something is being and this is pro played out through a lot of my life not just in terms of masculinity but when there's been a definition culturally for something that paints everything with that brush then it is toxic because it can't it doesn't or it's not going to serve you or the benefit of you it's serving the benefit of some other purpose that someone's decided and so and I think masculinity is just another one of those uh, constructs that falls into that. So like when I, in terms of these other examples, I think growing up Middle Eastern, there's, you go look into Hollywood, you look into any sort of pop culture, like <laughs> I was a terrorist growing up, you know what I mean? Mm. And so when I've grown up having to navigate 
that and what people are going to think of me in Australia because they find out that I'm Middle Eastern, then I can't really buy into any other social constructs because I don't think they exist to really serve the holistic benefit of our society. I think they exist to serve some other, I guess in our society it might be capitalism, like they serve to, you know, when I can look to, you know, the whole Middle Eastern thing, that was so people could sell movie tickets and mm. they could sell an, like a story that uh, people would buy into. And I think masculinity is a, probably another one of those that is being created so it can make people money, to be honest. Hearing you say that right now, like my mind's just like learning. Yeah. That's a, that's a phenomenal point, dude. Yeah, I think, and it's it's something that really I've only been able to come up with since I've had to think about this podcast, mm. with it, which has been a, a bit of a gift, to be honest. But yeah, I think that's why, that's so I would say that masculinity is toxic from that point of view, because yeah. everything that is socially con- constructed to paint every paint everyone under that label is toxic in itself because how often have you and how many men do you know like we're dealing with it at the moment right like everyone's dealing with this idea of shit what does it ta- what does it mean to be a man what is it what is my purpose here what do I have to do mm-hmm. like that is because we're all confused because someone has created you know the powers that be have created this uh, beautiful definition of masculinity for themselves that doesn't you know make sense it doesn't resonate with any of us. And now we're all like in this pickle where we're trying to figure it out and we're still, you know, 20 still talking about it. Yeah, yeah. still talking about it. So yeah. unreal. That's man, awesome answers. That's I love the fact as well that you've had a lot of time to reflect and that it's helped you deepen your understanding. Cause mm-hmm. even just hearing what you're saying now, I'm like, wow, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad I'm yeah. glad it makes sense. Oh, 100%, dude. It's- <laughs> I was like thinking when it was obviously all these thoughts coming to my head, I was like, oh, is this only going to make sense in the scheme of my life? Mm-hmm. You know, is someone else going to view this who has had a starkly different upbringing to me or background to me and they're going to think, hold on, like that's it's irrelevant well, that's- to me. But, it, and it, but I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. It is irrelevant to them. Yeah, it's yeah. A, this is my story and this is how I view these things and someone else they might have had a really – positive experience with the way that society defined masculinity for them and the way society is defined a bunch of other things for them. It's like, mm. yeah, well, life's good. So I think the the beauty of having a podcast like this and having everyone's perspectives on life and seeing it through the lens of another human mm. that's not trying to say things for for clout, for reactions. Yeah. You know, it's just a genuine conversation absolutely is that people learn man yeah. like people can take away from this and be like oh i really liked that point of view or oh, wow that's got me thinking like this is unlocking a part of my consciousness that wasn't there before absolutely so dude it's uh i feel like anything that's spoken from truth mm. brings so much value to people's lives and it's refreshing to be honest it's so yeah. i love doing this podcast and no, those are beautiful answers, man. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah, but yeah it's a, you're right. It is really powerful, like being able to hear different perspectives in the world. And obviously when you get the full story of someone, you don't have to, you're not just viewing them through the lens of what you've been presented, where you get to understand the foundations of their, their story and why they do what they do, then mm. it's, it's really enlightening. Of course. And speaking of, because you did touch on your upbringing mm. and it'll be awesome for the viewers just to, get a touch on, you know, yourself growing up and how your experiences were and 
how you became the man you are today, man. Because like I touched on earlier, when I see you, when I'd see you at Dream Machine, I'd be like, man, he's he's just a he's just a man. I don't know how else to describe it. Like, there's a story, viewers, where this year at Dream Machine, I was looking out and there was this uh, was it, what do they call it, a lake, a pond, yeah, or dam, yeah, that, that one, wow. <laughs> a, a body of water, and. Yeah. I was looking out and and SC was just paddling away, just like being the captain of this. It was a canoe, yeah? Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, that's what I want to be. I just saw you and I'm like, this is when I was just starting to like get over the bell curve of all the crap I was going through. Mm. I was like, you're going to get there, Lee. It's like, you're going to be the captain just effortlessly. You got the chest <laughs> hair out. And it was just, it's it's cool, man. It's it's. I'm very grateful that the universe has literally put me in the path of so many amazing men like yourself and yeah please wow. tell us a, a bit of a story like how was it growing up for you how was young SD okay give us give us the uh, the story so okay starting from the top I am a first gen Australian mm-hmm. so both my parents immigrated here from Syria mm-hmm. in 19 when, 1997 and then mm-hmm. I was born in 1998 and uh they bought a milk bar so they bought a milk bar in Fitzroy North, and I, so I had a, quite a rich childhood. Like I'm super grateful. We they bought the milk bar. We lived in the back of it, so that was Sick. my life. So cool. Wake up straight into the milk bar. Mm-hmm. I like duck in, get a get a lolly to start the day or something. Yeah, we had this beautiful community. Our milk bar was set up across the road from Fitzroy High School. So, and then just because the nature of li- living in a milk bar. All our customers were our neighbors, and so we bu- cool. built these beautiful relationships with people. And then a lot of the kids that I went to primary school with also lived in the area. So yeah, my childhood's like really, really nice from that point of view. Mm-hmm. But then you kind I guess the innocence of being a child then becomes tainted by, and again, we're coming back to these themes of society's constructs and like whatever definitions, realizing that I was the kid from a milk bar and I'm, you know, you go to primary school with all these, you know, awesome people that live in Fitzroy North. You can imagine like it's quite a wealthy part of town of from that point of view you obviously have your exceptions but when you're lit, when you're on the low socioeconomic end of things uh, and then you realize that you are also middle eastern and you're everyone around you is australian or you know some sort of or other background not that everyone's australian but so yeah growing up i was just trying to fit in and i realized again these are things that i've only really get, had to, the time to realize this year but I was doing, uh, like I would often lie, I think being the tying with being low, so like being the kid from the milk bar. So realizing why aren't we going away on holidays? Like why are we going away? You know, in summer, why don't we have a beach house? Those kinds of things. Mm. And realizing all of that, I'm like, geez. So I start lying. I'd, you know, maybe I'd lie if about having an iPod or mm-hmm. when I didn't have an iPod or doing all these things I could at home, say like I had all these things at home, maybe I had a Nintendo DS or I had a PlayStation or just all these things I didn't have mm-hmm. just so kids would think that I was similar to them. And then- Were you an only child? No, so I'm the oldest. So oldest. I've, got, I've got a younger brother and sister. Oh, and so then the work, and then so there was that part trying to fit in, you know, hiding the fact that we I was the milk bar kid and also hiding the fact that I was Middle Eastern around all these like beautiful Australian beachy people. And then- and then also the work ethic came into it. So then I was um, 
uh, to work from the milk, in the milk bar from a pretty young age. And I'm not mad about it. Like, I, mm. you know, I, and I'm painting this out. My parents are beautiful people. Like, they did their best. I, you know, the bravery that it takes to move to another country, start a family, especially when you're leaving a country like Syria where you don't really have, you know, there's nothing to go back to there for them. And they knew 100%. that. That's why they left. So then, we, yeah, sorry. Then I'll start working in the milk bar and, how old were you when you oh, first started working? It's hard to put a time on it, to be honest, because it's it's you know it starts with dad, you know, come help me fill up the fridge or mm-hmm. come help me stock uh, the ice creams or you know stock the chips, whatever. Mm. So it's hard to put a time on it, but then mm. it was probably like younger than ten, if I'm being <laughs> honest. And then and then eventually, like you get better, you know, you learn how to use the tills. Mm-hmm. Um, now I can make the sales and people come in and then unreal. So, which. I mean, from an experience point of view, fantastic. Like I learned mm. to speak to people and I like I created these beautiful like people skills, I guess, mm-hmm. from such a young age. And then, yeah, and then our milk bar burnt down. So that was in 2008 at the end of grade five. What? We were, yeah, it was pretty, pretty nuts. I, again, and at the time, you don't think much of it. I was just mm. like, we because we're all, we all survived. Like it was all healthy. The story goes that, it, we were all asleep. It was 1.30 in the morning. The fire had begun and these kids, these high school kids who had come to Milk Bar, one of them actually worked. Sometimes you do like shifts in the Milk Bar just when my parents went out. They're walking past, saw all the smoke in the front of the Milk Bar, started banging on the windows. And my dad woke up, woke up to all the smoke and the fire and, yeah, got everyone out. He, <laughs> he came and woke me up and it was one of those ones where you're half asleep you're like this is a dream this isn't real mm. so you go back to sleep and he's like no get out now and then we all get out and the only way out of the house is through the milk bar where the fire was but again the fire wasn't like raging so to speak so we um could get out the front door and we were pretty we were all safe so it was uh happy days and then yeah just like watched the milk bar burn down from, uh, from the other side of the street how is that seeing you know, because that's basically was your life, right? It was yeah. like the milk bar. How was it seeing something monumental in your life kind of burn down? Was it? It was. It's hard. It's hard to, I guess, recap the way I was feeling because I was, geez, I would have been just over 10 by then or 11. Mm. One of the firemen on the scene was actually a footy friend's dad. And so he made the whole experience like quite comfortable for me and my brother and my sister. My mum and dad, obviously a bit of shock, like obviously in shock. They're just like, wow, this is not what we needed. And that was kind of a really big turning point in our whole family's life in terms of life just getting a lot harder because we were renting. So they own the business, but they're renting the building, renting the house and the building that the business is in. And the reason the fire was caused was because the there was a leak in the roof and it was negligence from the owner's behalf and they didn't fix it and so during the night that leak hit one of the power points of the drink fridges in the milk bar and that caused the fire and so that in itself just really like introduced us to because before that life was pretty nice you know we had these beautiful community street Mm -hmm. parties all the rest like life was good and then after that it was like you get smacked in the face of the realities of this world and Mm -hmm. how hard life can get and so yeah, to answer your question, it was, it was, I guess, tough in reflection. Like it's always going to be tough to just accept that like your life's never going to be the same. Like what happens from here? We're not, again, we're not wealthy, no investment property we can just move into. Like where are we going to sleep tonight? There was those thoughts coming into our head and like to the, you know, the, so th- grateful for the community we were in because they really just 
jumped in there. Like word got around pretty quick. We're obviously a big part of everyone's morning, a lot of people's morning routines. So they come past like, wow, Milk Bar's not here anymore. What's going mm-hmm. on? And uh, yeah, someone gave us one of their apartments to sleep in for like the next week. And then that whole wow. week, that apartment just filled up with donations. Like people just giving us, you know, clothes, toys, whatever it might've been, the things that will help us out. So that was really beautiful. And then we were just kind of house hopping for the next, uh, unless you can't remember in my head, it was like a few months, but it might've mm-hmm. been a week, <laughs> yeah, a couple yeah. of weeks. But um, we were just house hopping. People would just lend us their houses. They might be going away for the month or they might be going away for a weekend, whatever it was. That was an interesting part of our life. And then, yeah, we just found a way. The parents found a place in Preston. We rented that out. And then my mum worked in a supermarket and then dad was doing some laboring and then we just kind of got by. I started high school and life kind of went on. And then we, they got a place out in Greensboro, but then something happened on along the lines of just like, we want to open up another milk bar again. So Cool. There was, uh, if anyone knows the area where we were, there's, it's the high school's on the corner. There's Scotchman Street there and there's Falconer Street on Michael Street. And so there's our milk bar was there. And there's also another milk bar like 50 meters away, just around on the other side of the high school. Ooh. Ours was a bit bigger. So yeah, growing up, we, uh, <laughs> we did a little bit better than them, but mm-hmm. we're always quite chummy with the others. Uh, this like old Greek couple and they both passed away. So that milk bar was just empty. My parents thought they'd take it up. And so the milk bar story started again and we were back. I was in high school, was working in the milk bar, doing all that. Cool. Also like working. And then, yeah, and that was kind of it. So I just developed this uh, work ethic through there and then got my job and then just got heaps of jobs. Like I think I counted the other day and it might have been, it might be on like my 15th job. Nice. Yeah, cool. 16th. So I'm just. What, what kind of jobs up. have you had? Some real random ones that you've kind of yeah, dude, yeah? super random. It was like, <laughs> <laughs> and it's quite ingrained in that sense of I never wanted to feel poor, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I never wanted to feel like I couldn't do the things that my friends were doing. And of course, going to uh, going to a Catholic school, you've got people that not to say uh, everyone's really wealthy or well off. You know, people were quite comfortable there. And then you also had kids that didn't need to work until they finished school and all the rest. So I, yeah, first job I was at KC. So that wasn't that odd. Just I, I lasted like two weeks. That joint was gross. I happy to eat KFC, but God, like <laughs> the way they make, I think when I found out the way that they made the gravy, mm-hmm. <laughs> you were done. Yeah, I was out. I was out. <laughs> they literally scraped the like oil off the bottom of the oil fryers or the gunk, I guess, not even the oil, scrape it off into a tray and then they pour like gravy powder on it, mix it all together. And that's it. That's the gravy. So that was it. And then I got a job at Kmart and that was good, but they started, I was one of the, Kmart's one of those places. They start, stop giving you shifts when you get a little bit older. Cause they can just live off like child labor. Oh, the child labor. <laughs> yeah. Classic smart. And then um, <laughs> after that, it was, I got a job at Hoyt's, which I got, I got let go from because I had a beard. I didn't like facial hair. I didn't like when I'm talking beard, I'd stubble like this, but they didn't like it. They wanted clean shaven. And I was in a bit of a rebellious area. Like my whole high school was quite rebellious and I was mm-hmm. I was growing it out to be rebellious at school. And I was like, nice. oh, I don't need to shave this. True, because a Catholic, of course. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah they're strict on that strict. stuff. And then from Hoyts, I got a job at Vans, but then, which was cool. And then, mm-hmm. but in amongst, oh, Vans might've been a bit later. That might've been around year 11. But then yeah, in and amongst all of those. Oh, this is in high school. This is all high school. 
Wow. This is from like, yeah, year nine wow. onwards or year eight. That's impressive, yeah. man. And then and then within high school, I had this job selling merch at the F1. There was um there was a workforce hire company that had a lot of contracts to big events. So I would often get pulled in to work then, whether it was like the Melbourne Flower and Garden Show or the uh, Grand Prix at Phillip Island mm-hmm. or the F1 in Melbourne. I worked those places and that would just so my weekends might have been spent working there um and that was yeah just I I had like a really rich high school I got to do a lot of things on weekends with my friends but there were some uh moments that I missed because I just felt that I had to work to and that was quite evident in year 12 I remember I missed one of our year 12 celebrations because I went to work at the Grand Prix and I was like I stayed up there for the weekend so I mm-hmm. just sacrificed uh, my yeah end of year celebrations for that but that was so I could go to schoolies and pay for schoolies but then true yeah so it was, it's yeah, it's interesting man hearing like so the work ethic and that drive to do you, do you think that came from you know your parents both being immigrants you're mm. seeing the amount of sacrifice I bet they absolutely worked their yeah tushes off right yeah and but then coming into a high school where you see the level of wealth that some people have, the level of comfort, did you think it was a combination of being like, oh, I need to like work hard to make sure that I can get there? Or is it like to a point to prove? Like what was that main drive with your work ethic? Because that's impressive. It was, I think a lot of it came from guilt, to be honest. I felt quite guilty that my parents sacrificed their lives mm-hmm. for the benefit of their children. I mean, that's their choice. I'm not, you know, my in my uh, wisdom of growing up, I know that it was their choice. But at the time I felt quite guilty and I knew that, you know, they would fight about money a lot. Like because the milk bars, after the first one burnt down, that second one was a mistake. Like it did not do well financially because milk bars just weren't a part of Australian uh, the Australian ethos, you know, yeah. anymore. Like they, they died out. People just go to supermarkets now. No one's mm-hmm. going to walk to their milk bar to just get one thing. Like they, everyone's so time poor these days. They don't have the leisure to just enjoy a nice little trip to the milk bar. So true. And even the high school kids, like they weren't coming at lunch times like they usually would because they could go to supermarket and just get everything a little bit cheaper. So, so they thought about money a lot and I felt really guilty about it. I felt really guilty that they were paying, mum was paying for us to go to a, semi-private school and and she like wouldn't have it times where we'd say you know just move us or try you know send us to a public school she just wouldn't have it she's like no your education is the most important thing to me like we're going to get it done and so there were times where I wouldn't I mean every year I wouldn't tell her about books like I wouldn't tell her about books I would never ask because she would want to pay for it I'm like you can't I don't want you to afford paying for these mm-hmm. so I'd have to sort out all books and like stationery, everything was just off my own accord. And so that was a big part of it all. And I remember there's like quite a few moments where I was crying to my house leaders at the time just because I would, because of all these pressures I was putting on myself, high school was quite a, a place where I could lash out and I could be this like rebellious brat because it's the only place I felt like I could probably be a kid. And so I was in, <laughs> with the house leaders a lot because I was always in trouble. And uh, 
there's a lot of times where I would cry because sometimes I was being in trouble because I didn't have the right book for class. I didn't have this. And my teacher was like, why don't you have the book? And I'd just give it to her or give it to them because I didn't want to tell them the reason why. And then, yeah. So it was, it was a lot to do with guilt and just making sure that I didn't want my parents to be any more stressed. I didn't want me to be the reason my parents were more stressed about money. That's a, yeah. man, that's a lot of pressure to put on yourself as a kid. Yeah, it was quite a lot. And I yeah. think at the time you don't think like that. Again, I'm just, these are all thoughts that I've been able to have this year. It's really funny. They say your brain fully develops at 25. Mm, <laughs> like, I feel that. <laughs> full on, man. This year has been br brutal in like the most positive sense. Mm. I'm just so much uh, learning and just like reflection. But yeah, I think life was so, there were just so many things happening growing up. The I was learning a lot. I was getting all these life lessons, like really important and powerful life lessons, but they were happening to me. And this is the first year that I've actually had the time to kind of stop, sit back. You know, I've done all the things I've won. I've got bought a property. I've got a beautiful partner. Like I've got all these things. Mm. And this is the first time where I can just like take a step back and go, why, are I, why am I the way I am? What happened? What was my life like? Mm -hmm. And so honestly... Probably last month, like all these thoughts that I'm speaking about now, like have really come to light. And particularly this last week, like I cannot begin to explain how powerful just like <laughs> this experience of coming on the podcast has been for me awesome. and what it's forced me to like recognize and reflect on. But yeah, so it was quite a lot to deal with as a kid. Of course, man. Yeah. Having that pressure, not wanting to upset and further stress your parents. You're also the oldest, like all that responsibility. And you're also going through puberty. You're yeah. trying to like you're trying to figure out like how to Mate, just how to just puberty. be Don't start me on puberty. <laughs> Fucking hell. That thing. I was had underarm hair in grade two. When I'm talking about not wanting trying to fit in, all I had to do was lift up my arms. And I've got these five year olds around me, like, what the fuck is that? I was, I was literally about to say, surely you went through puberty a lot younger than most. Yeah, man. I've looked like this since like uh, really young. I've been, I just look the same. I haven't changed. I was like this tall and by year eight, and you know, and like just nothing has really changed that much. How did you find just touching on like kind of being different and looking different? Did you find that there was any attention that came with that? I found for me, it gave me a lot of unwanted attention. Yeah. How did you find kind of standing out from your peers? It was a bit tricky, honestly. I I had a, like I've always had really good friends. So I was quite accepted from that point of view, but I know I put a lot of pressure to my, obviously this pressure to fit in. So I would being really hairy, I would I shaved my arms and my legs a lot growing up. Like I really tried whenever because I'd see my mates. I'm like, oh, you guys don't have any arm hair on your arms and legs. So mm -hmm. I was shaving everything, like armpits from in primary school. You know, kids, dude, kids should not be doing that in primary school. And so, no way. yeah, and that kind of carried on through to high school for a little bit until I just realized it didn't. I didn't need to do that. I guess from the, I it was more pressures that I put on myself. I ne mm -hmm. no one ever taught. Like I don't have any vivid memories of anyone coming up to me and like, you're hairy, like you're Arab or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. It was, um, it was just these things that I put on myself because I really tried to fit in these pre and these, yeah, intrinsic pressures, which mm. quite, yeah, in reflection, like super unnecessary. But isn't it interesting though that you had those pressures even without like kids expressively coming up to you 
it's like you were so observant, you know, you uh, were touching on before the potty about how, you know, growing up in the movies, mm. you know, Arabs, Eagles, Terrace, mm. that was literally the the go with so many of the Hollywood movies. Like you see every single bad guy yeah. had to be, you know, an Arab. And it's like absolutely you observing that, you know, being an immigrant, you know, your parents being immigrants from Syria, you had those pressures to fit in mm. even without kids saying that. Do you know, isn't that crazy? Exactly. Like, and and the pre- yeah, exactly. And the pressures wow. will, they were there. It's even if someone didn't say it to me, I know, mm. maybe it was because, you know, some boys got more attention than I was getting. And I would just mm. say, oh, it's because I'm a little bit different. Yeah. And things like that. My mum used to send me to school with a mu- like a bowl cut, like a mushroom cut, which was nice. God bless, man. God bless. <laughs> but she used to do that. So there was also that. <laughs> just like really, wow, this kid. You were just ahead of the times, man. Yeah, That's probably trendy now. Yeah, probably. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Walk down Brunswick Street, you get a few of those. Yeah, literally. It's, it's interesting, man, when you have so much pressure from such a young age and you know, there is a lot of benefits that come from it, right? Like look at your work ethic, look at your drive to succeed. You know, like you mentioned and touched on, you've already bought a property. Mm. You've got a beautiful partner as well, which I would love to dive into. The way that you've set up your life at this age is really admirable, man. Yeah, I wouldn't, I really would not change a thing. I might change, I mean, I might change how much of a hard time I gave my mom in high school, just like with my behavior. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm really like happy with the person I am today and I can only really thank like that can only be attributed to what I guess went through growing up. Of course. So I've been thinking about this topic about the mother and son relationship. Mm. You saw my posts on Insta the other yeah. day as well. And it's it's interesting, man. Like mums are the best. Mm. You know, shout out to both of our mums. Absolute yeah. angels and like I was the same, I gave my mum a really, really hard time until I moved to Melbourne. Yeah. Basically didn't have a relationship with her and wow. starting to like heal and love her and really form this relationship. Have you found as you've grown older and, you know, you've been healing yourself and all through these experiences that you've grown closer to your mum? Like how has that relationship changed since post high school? It's definitely better. It is 100% better. I think we've both understood our boundaries. To go back to high school, like she was getting calls all the time at work. Like it must have been really embarrassing for her to be my mum. But she was getting calls all the time like, oh, Anthony's in trouble again, Anthony's in trouble again. And I was just like, I would have been a really tough kid to raise from that point of view because, Mm -hmm. and then I think that it's just, it would have stained our relationship a little bit growing up. And then we were, we'd butt heads a lot. And then it really took me moving out for us to kind of get on this playing field where we both just wanted to enjoy the time that we spent with each other because we, she stresses a lot. Like my, she's, oh, she, she used to, she traveled the world by herself when as like a, which she yeah. right now she is like too scared to drive to a place she doesn't know. Mm-hmm. You know, she mm-hmm. got, she's got her five places that she knows and she can only drive there and anywhere else. No, nah, I'm not going there. <laughs> And that's like coming from a person who traveled the world by herself. So she was quite stressed growing up. I mean, mm-hmm. while I was growing up and we, so we'd butt heads a lot because I was you know, really independent. I, I wanted to, I did all these things, went all these places and mom just like couldn't understand how I was doing those things. Mm. And so 
once we moved out has really helped our relationship get better and just I guess flourish so to speak would you say that through moving out and because it sounds like you guys are very similar in mm. a lot of ways have you found that it's almost giving you guys a common ground because you're out of each other's space like for me my mom for example mm. we're almost the same person and yeah it would just be like this all the time. Mm. And as I've grown older, it's like, oh, it's because we're like basically the same human. And it's like, we're just yeah, maybe clashing. Cause I've never really thought about it like that. I've, all, I've always kind of thought that we're super different, but mm. then I guess the reason we're butting heads is because mm. we are, we do play like a similar role in our families. My mum, she, so my dad's been quite sick since 2016. Mm-hmm. And so he hasn't worked since then. And mum, so mum has just been work like she's really been carrying our family since that for that time. And so we're she carries a lot on her plate. And I think that I'll never be able to like God, my life has not been as hard as hers by any means. Mm-hmm. She's really uh sacrificed so much for the benefit of our family. And she's just like, as long as the kids are happy, as long as their kids are doing well. And so with that in mind, there's I and like with my mature, I guess me becoming a bit more mature and growing up, I just really am doing my best not to annoy her, <laughs> like not mm. annoy her, not butt heads. I just want to show her that I'm really grateful for everything that she's done for us and just make her life easier where I can. And if that means like leaving a few details out of a story so she doesn't get annoyed at me, then uh, that's Smart. what it is. Yeah. So that's cool, man. Yeah. That's cool. It must be nice like reflecting and, just seeing, you know, the the parental relationships grow because they eventually form into essentially friendships. Mm. It's like you once you start growing as a man and you get independent and you break away, like especially moving out and you're just doing your own thing. Yeah. Then it one, they stop stressing. That's the that's the main aim. If you can get your mom to stop stressing to some degree, like they always still yeah. stress a little bit, but like <laughs> if you can get her to trust that you're on your path and that you're doing your thing and you're displaying that, then they start to gain this respect for you and the relationship that forms is it's amazing, man. And that's why I think like the relationship with your mum and, of course, with your dad, but just in particular for men, just Mm. being able to heal that, come from a place of love and understanding, you end up developing so much patience, so much compassion. Yeah. Like if you think about it, if you can be patient with your mum, you can be patient with any person in the world. It's true. So true. I said that to mum the <laughs> so other day true. and she started laughing. She's like, oh, go on. I'm like, oh, seriously, mum. But like. It's so true. Yeah. It like is. you think about it, even with your partner and stuff as well. My mum would always say, she's like, how you treat your mum is potentially how you're going to treat your partner. Mm. And when she was saying that, it was, I know, I'd always like think about that. And yeah, it's. It's cool, man. It's, Your mum sounds like a phenomenal woman. Yeah, she is. She is. When you look at the way, like she supports our family, is mm. quite incredible. It's just, I, I'm curious about this mum because I feel like there's a lot of people who can't. Mm. They just like they don't. They're obviously not. Priv- they're not in like a privileged enough position where they can have a good relationship with their mum. And what? Mm. So, what do you think of those? Like, what, you know what? I think those in those scenarios where yeah. like you literally can't form a relationship with your mum, yeah. it's an abusive relationship, mm. you know, something where it's just off the cards. Yeah. 
you still have to come from the position where you forgive, you love, and mm-hmm. you can move on. Okay. And yeah. it's it's the hardest thing that a man can do yeah. is to forgive his mum. Yeah. It seriously is. And it's, yeah. you know, I'm very fortunate to be coming from a position where, you know, I've got a great loving mum. Yeah. But it was still genuinely for me the hardest thing that I've ever done is actually to take accountability for my own actions in the relationship and to go, all right, well, I just want to love and be grateful and forgive for it. So I think in that same aspect, it's just being able to forgive and to move on in your life. It just takes off that weight, man. It is a weight. It's going to anchor you down for the rest of your life. It is a weight. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. That's interesting. Because I imagine there'd be so many people. Like, do you ever feel that for, do you ever feel that like there's a lot of, there are so many things that people have to do and like to, I guess, heal. So do you feel that within all of those lessons, if people might, like people feel ostracized, they might feel a bit isolated when they can't tick one of those things off if they can't do something? Do you ever feel people might be like, well, oh shit, I can't do that. Like I can't, maybe I can't heal my relationship with my mom. I just can't forgive her for whatever she's done or whatever it Mm. might be. Do you feel like people might think that they're doomed when they're put into that? It's it's hard, man. I think it all depends in what kind of mindset they're in. I think if you come from the mindset that I can't do something or you've got in your mind, yeah, that it's... It can't be possible. Yeah. Then you're always going to be trapped in your own limited mindset. Yeah, I think okay. if you come from the aspect that anything's possible, that you can do anything, yeah. even if it's the most hardest, like usually the where the most growth comes from is by doing the stuff that scares you and brings you the most fear, man. Yeah, absolutely. And any really anything is is possible. So. I think if anyone, you know, listening, even as we're speaking about this is going, well, I can't heal this or especially if it is to do with their mom, it's like you you can find a way. You just need to put intention behind it, figure it out. That's the hardest part. It's like it took me four four solid years of repairing the relationship with mom. Four. It's a long time. Imagine telling your parents about your partying and drug use, telling them everything about it and then having to like basically set fires, put them out and then like being told that, you know, essentially that I'm certain things, like I'm not going to go into it just because it's, you know, private, but like, you know, basically being shunned and then still having to go back and try and fix it, still having to set boundaries up. It's easily the hardest thing I've ever done, man. So I feel like if people really want to do something, you'll always find a way. It's just so true. It's just figuring out how. How to do it. Yeah. Which way suits you. Yeah, for sure. I've always been super I don't know if jealous is the right word, but I've always been maybe jealous is the right word. I've been jealous of people that have had good relationships with their mum. Like particularly growing up in high school. And obviously the part was a a fault of mine. Like my mum was not uh, an issue in all of that. She was just she wanted what was best for me. Mm. But yeah, I always, I'd always feel quite jealous. Like I look at the relationship uh, my partner has with her mum. I was like, oh, I wish, I wish that would be really nice. Of course, man. Yeah, it's it's funny as well. Like, did you ever? I'm just thinking, like, we probably had similar 
aspects of our childhood, did you always used to get a little bit jealous of when you would hear of your friends going down with their families to the beach house and all the time, like man. the happy family? And I all the I still get same. it now. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I'm still like I. Yeah. There are so many times where I just wish my family could. You know, I just wish they could. And I this and this is a big motivating factor for me and what I want out of, and I was, I guess if you're talking about purpose, I was having this conversation with Kira. Kira's my partner, those at home. I was having this conversation with Kira the other day and because I've been on this, one of the big parts of, I guess this year's reflection journey has been purpose and what is my purpose. And mm-hmm. when I quit my job and just got into casual work, I was, that was, it was a big, big question was, is my purpose still tied to work? With that, I was talking to Kira and I was saying, I think my purpose is to make sure that the people I care about don't struggle or don't feel like the pre- financial pressures or they get to live their life without or have like these experience, these nice, fun experiences that we're meant to have in life without needing to worry about money. Because that's how, that's how I feel about my family. Mm-hmm. I really wish, and I it's all gearing up. Like my brother, my brother's doing really well at work. My sister is doing really well as well, and I'm doing okay. So mm. we, it's getting to that point where like we 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 can provide for my parents, and like we will eventually be able to take them away and do it. And we have mm-hmm. been like we this year we paid for paid and we went to away together, and it was really nice. And uh. So yeah, I'm just I think my purpose right now is to focus on how I can provide to give my family the experiences that we haven't ha- got to have growing up or yeah, because mm. that's how I feel. When I I really feel saddest when I see all these other people doing these beautiful things as a family mm. and I'm just like, "Oh, I wish I could do that." And it yeah, it hits home like my again, Kira's family, beautiful. Like beautiful and they've found a way. Like they're not to say that they're not um they're not super rich or anything by any of that means like they're mm-hmm. they're comfortable they work hard and they do so many beautiful things as a family and like it's so nice to be a part of and I was like oh, I really wish my family could experience like the things I get to experience with Kira's family mm. and so yeah I think that's a great drive man yeah it's that, a really that'll get you out of bed every yeah, day exactly and yeah. it does it really does I think once I've been able to figure that out been really really liberating and you know, and it's going when the time comes, like it, I want this to apply to everyone that I care about. Like I, it's not just my family. I really want to be able to give back to anyone that's like looked after me throughout the years or like looked, you know, been by my side or or then just people that are struggling and they don't get to, they don't have the freedom to just like enjoy the the nicer things in life or the things that really like make life worth living, you know, where mm. Living in this place where all we do is work. <laughs> Living in this place where all we do is work. Mm-hmm. And so many people are trapped, trapped in this bubble. And that's been my mum's life. And I remember maybe last year, I just, she's been talking about going overseas for so long. And we've been pushing her, like, you just book the tickets, go, go. She's been, and she's like really frightened to book the tickets herself. And we, just took the phone off her and we just booked them all for her and she was stressed about money. Like, mom, we're going to work it out. 
we'll mm-hmm. work we we'll work the money stuff out it'll all be okay like you know you you're going to a place we have family you don't have to pay for accommodation you know, mm-hmm. our families it doesn't matter if they come to visit us or we go to visit them like they don't you don't pay for shit yep. you know what i mean it's just the way we work and my so she's visiting her sisters in lebanon and visiting her sisters in sweden and she we're just like we're just going to make it work it'll work out so we booked all the flights we booked all the tickets for her and she went away and she just came back and she was so grateful and she was like this is and it gave me so much joy to see her being able to enjoy just life again where she's really been stuck in a supermarket for the last 10 years i'm just that's worked, awesome yeah it's been really nice that feeling being able to give back to your mum, that's got to be like probably the best feeling in the world truly yeah, it yeah. was nice. I mean, I didn't do much. Like, I just booked flights to, like, got her on her way. But still, she's, she, you know, she it was still her money at the end of the day. She did all these things. Just but you provided that support. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, being able to be that rock in people's lives and to, because that's what you are, man. You are like, I can feel it in your energy and how you are as a person. Like, you're so grounded mm-hmm. and to, yeah, be able to support her and have that drive to continue to support the people that you love. I mean, yeah. dude, that's, that's sick. That's really, really cool to be at this stage of your life to have that mindset, you know what I mean? Like you can go one or two ways. You can either take the lessons that you've had growing up and just continue to blame the world and why I might like come from that place of lack. Mm. Or you can be like, well, I'm going to do something about this. Yeah. I'm going to make sure the people that I love are provided and supported for it's That's really cool, man. That's yeah. sick. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's been a – I think the understanding your purpose and I, I don't – I still don't think – I think what where I've gotten to now is like a good starting point but I don't think this is the end mm-hmm. of what I come up with in terms of what my purpose is but it is so enriching just to like have some sort of core value that you can fall back on. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah. It really provides that sort of stability. Like mm-hmm. you said, what you can fall back on is, you know, we all have our off days. We all have days where we're not 100% on, right? Yeah. But if you can have that why in the back of your brain, it just gives you, it gives that little boost. You're like, no, For sure. this is what I'm doing. Let's go. You yeah. know what I mean? You, you kind of, it's almost like seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. And you know you're in your journey and it's like that's just what's keeping you yeah plodding along yeah yeah i guess the beauty of it is you're never going to achieve it like that's the beauty of a purpose it's just it's this guiding light but it's Mm -hmm. not something you'll ever be able to touch you you touched on your partner kira Mm. i would love to know because i don't think i know this story esty and kira are a couple that when i liken my parents relationship and i see how in love they are and the it's their energy that they give off with each other you and Kira radiate that so much, man. And it's very inspiring, especially in this climate, nice. the age that we're in, to to see that relationship, man. Please tell us a story because I'd, I'd love to know. Kira and I have been together just over five years now. Mm-hmm. And we met, so she was best friends with one of my friend's older sister. Mm-hmm. And after a party, we went back to my friend's house and Kira was there and you know, with my friends and my friend Carl knew her, like his sister knew Kira. So there was just that nothing came of it. Like we barely spoke that night, but we ended up, Carl ended up driving Kira home and I mean, driving me home as well. So that was the first night we met, 
but again, nothing. And then we were going to Splendor in the Grass in 2017. Both of us had broken up with our exes, like recently after the first time we'd met in 2016. And we were going to Splendor in the Grass and we just linked up some, you know, we're trying to find the, we're trying to find people who were going to Splendor. And I was going with my best friend Liam, just us two, and started talking to Kira just in the lead up to it. And it just never stopped. Like we started talking one day and we just never stopped talking. And so we went to Splendor in the Grass and it was nothing happened. Like we spent, we spent some time with each other, but we were, uh, you know, we were just having a good time. Like literally nothing like from a sexual point of view or anything, mm-hmm. so to speak. We just friends and we just kept talking, talking after Splendor. And it was just really nice. Just such like a beautiful part of my life in that period, especially I guess 2016, 2017. Um, oh, well, it was 2017 going into 2018, but yeah, just such like a nice person to have in my life. We shared so many similar views and so in- she's so intelligent. Like it is blows my brain, <laughs> the things that she can rattle off. And then it got to, well, one day we were, I think it was, it was on the 23rd. Well, actually in the lead up, we just started going on these we're, they weren't dates. We didn't, we were like, we're just friends. We're just friends. It was all that stuff. Yeah, your, your friends are all like, <laughs> you guys are going on dates. We're just like, yeah, yeah just friends. Mm-hmm. We went to the beach together, did these things. Again, nothing just because we're just friends. Mm-hmm. And then I think it was on the 23rd of December in 2017. God, yeah, 2017. And we just had a really nice night out in the city. Like we didn't do anything extravagant we just mm-hmm. you know saw the christmas lights do all these things it was really really nice and that was and then a week later we had our first kiss at cake oh <laughs> at nice. cake, yeah <laughs> and uh and that was kind of history and it just yeah it all just snowballed from there and then i think in you know i took from december and then by march mm-hmm. we were Official. Oh, uh, the official. Yeah. Official. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then uh, and after pitch, no doubt. Oh. <laughs> just like chilling at nice. our house. And like, should we? And like, yeah, all right, let's do it. Love that. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that's it. It's been uh, smooth sailing. It's been happy days. We are, uh, God, yeah, it's been a really beautiful relationship. I mm. could not be happier or more grateful that she came into my life. I remember back in high school, me and a couple of the boys, we were just on the bus and we were talking. One of them asked, like, they, they might have seen a stat or they might have, on the, yeah, actually they did see a stat on the internet and it was 90, I don't know what the stat was. It was a high number. 90, let's say 90% of people have already met the person that they're going to marry. And he asked, you know, do you guys think you've met the person you're going to marry yet? And I was like, fuck, I hope not. <laughs> 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 and that... uh I don't mean Kira are married, but <laughs> we did meet after, well after that. I didn't know her then. That. So yeah, it's just like I'm so grateful that uh she exists and her parents did what they did. Of course, man. Yeah, yeah it's, it's she seems like such a wonderful addition to your life, right? And that's what great partners are. They like they bring yeah. you up, you know. And exactly. She is like a very intelligent, very powerful woman like when Super. when i like see her in an element a dream or you see her like out when you know we've seen each other out i was like you just exude so much 
power. I, I, I don't know how else to describe it. Like I can feel yeah. people's energies quite highly and yeah, man, she's such a wonderful human and yeah. so are you. So it makes sense. I love to see like two great people together <laughs> and you guys are, really sweet. you bought a property together, right? Yeah. So we got a joint called November last year. We awesome, man. In. And how, how's that experience been? Oh, perfect. It's yeah. just been, yeah, it's been so smooth, like no yeah, it's just been amazing. Like she, yeah. like, like I said, is always a little bit of. I mean, there wasn't any angst kind of moving in. We kind mm. of just assumed that it would all be fine, mm-hmm. and it and it was like there was no we we work around each other really well at at the very beginning of our relationship mm-hmm. in 2018. We'd both gone to Europe, so we spent a fair bit of time away from each other. But then I was living in Barcelona. I was uh, studying there, and she came and lived with me for like just over a month. And so that was a nice introduction. I guess we got to, it might've been a bit warped, like we were living in Barcelona, mm. so life's good. But we got a taste of what it'd be like to live with each other really early on. I think we both knew that it was going to work out. So yeah, it's been a really nice experience. And yeah, like I said, she's so supportive. We So we got that mortgage, mm-hmm. or the place got the mortgage. Mm-hmm. And that was as I was gearing up to turn 25, and reach my fucking enlightenment. <laughs> and that was when I re- I'm like, geez, I can't do this job anymore. I yep. can't work here anymore. And well, what were you doing? Was it marketing? Yeah. Yep. I was in media. I was an account manager. And so it just went against everything that I'd kind of worked towards. Like in, again, I guess if we're going to talk about this pressure to succeed, I re like, put so much pressure on myself to succeed and I was really proud of what I'd done like I'd be I've I got a really nice job during uni and so from uni I was just at uni whenever I wasn't at uni I was working school and then on uni holidays I was full-time working in public relations Mm -hmm. for a really big brand in Australia and I got like really nice experiences got to travel through work I and then I built up through that business and then I needed something new after four years there. So I moved on and then got to like, do some really cool things again. I got to work on like the election uh, in the media or advertising space. And, mm-hmm. and then I got picked up to go to another place and I was a business manager there. And then it was in that job and I was just thinking, this is, this is not it. Like I'd, mm. I'd achieved... I was really proud of what I've been able to achieve by 24. Mm-hmm. And then when you realize that it's not for you, it was quite toxic. Like I became so unhappy. I would like depression napping. I just didn't, you know, working from home, I just didn't want to get out of bed to work. I was really upset at what I had been doing with my life, but I was, felt like, wow, we've just got this mortgage this would be really risky for me to quit my job and and just like find a way out. But mm. fortunately, like I have a really generous uh, friend who owns a business and he, his family owns a business and they he sorted me out with work. He's like, yeah, we can, I can look after you if you want to quit. And that was it. And so I quit and he set me up with some work. And But through that, like Kira, I could imagine – hearing your partner say that you want to quit after you get a mortgage. I'm like, geez, what's going to come here? Mm-hmm. But she, like, I guess, trusted me. Like she put a lot of trust into me. Mm-hmm. And 
it made me just feel so comfortable. Like as long as I got her backing me in uh, the, in my corner, then like I'd be able to do whatever I really needed to do. And it that's was- a, That's amazing. Yeah, it was like I honestly cannot thank her enough for mm. allowing me to, I guess, go on the path that I've wanted to go on. It must be so cool having such a supportive and strong partner. Yeah, it Especially is. Especially so when- you guys have been dating for just over five years. So, yeah, throughout your early 20s, you meet when you were 19? Yeah, things? I was 19. She was 21, wow. I think. She was two years older than me. Man, that must be so incredible, like having such a great addition to your life come mm. at that age. And it's like, you know, that age, you can really go either way, man. You yeah. know what I mean? Like you can, Yeah, I know that speaking from experience, <laughs> like you can really go off the wrong path mm. it, it almost sounds like Kira really helped to to navigate you through oh, those big time. crazy years and the amount that you've achieved at this age, man, is honestly very, very inspiring. Big time, dude. Kira is so grounding and she, yeah, I'd be really worried about where what I was where I where I would have been today if she mm. hadn't come along. Like she no doubt, like I've still been uh still made my mistakes and like still made, you know party life and, and all the rest yeah. but it was just part of being young in your 20s you know what i mean yeah but yeah she's i think she just came into my life like exactly when i needed her yeah and uh but you know who knows maybe we've maybe i i don't, actually don't know I, maybe things could have worked out but i know that i know that with her by my side like things are going to work out and it, and, yeah. it, and they have so i'm really grateful that's cool it's honestly man it's a uh, that is rare in this day and age because a lot of you know even dating in general it seems that everyone's really scared to commit everyone is yeah just scared to put themselves out there to have the opportunity to to love Mm. and you know for the listeners this is so valuable hearing this perspective because there's not many men in your position who have met their life partner who have like who are the addition to their life and that's the thing that i want to drive it's like i found in previous relationships i've lost myself in it because Mm. i was coming from such a place of lack that it was like they were like the only thing that was essentially they were my life right yeah and it's a really important thing is that your partner the person who's gonna exponentially increase your life in every single way Mm. is there to just be that, to be your support, to be a rock and to, to help you to become the man and the person that you want to be. So For sure, dude. For that's, sure. That's cool, man. It's, uh, I think, relationships, you can, you need to have that level of, you need to have an independence within your relationships to be yourselves, be who you want to be and do what you want to do. And mm-hmm. you and you need your partner there to be independent themselves do what they need to do, do what they mm. want to do. And then you've just got this like really happy middle ground that you dedicate the other half of yourselves to, to support each other out. If you think about it, it's almost a blessing what you went through as a kid, right? Mm. Having that hyper independence because that's to set you up to be in the perfect spot to then be able to receive an amazing woman like Kira into your life because you yeah. had that huge level of independence probably more than the majority of guys your age yeah i think i think so i think it was mm. like i just had this level of emotional maturity 
mm-hmm. that Kira could resonate with and mm-hmm. like obviously found value in. And yeah, yeah the rest was the rest was kind of history. Of course. But yeah, I'm I'm just like I said, when I go back to like if I would change anything, mm-hmm. I never would. Even yeah. like despite all the shit that happened and all the silly things that I did, mm-hmm. I've come out of it with like a beautiful partner. I've got the best friends. Mm-hmm. And like it's so funny. I was thinking again, I was thinking about I was so worried about um, not fitting in, hey, but then I'd have these friends that just, I was like a bad influence, honestly. Like for, in high school, I would have been a bad influence growing up. I would have, I got kicked out of like just a nuisance in mm-hmm. class. And I have these amazing friends that stood by me through that. I'm like, God, if they're going to stand by me through that, why was I ever worried that like they wouldn't appreciate it? like my background essentially and they wouldn't just accept me for who I was. So it's, uh, yeah, I wouldn't change a thing. It's, it's all, it's all worked out, I guess. Oh, hundred <laughs> percent, man. Quite nicely. And you, you were touching on as well that you studied in Barcelona. Mm. So you've done a, a fair bit of traveling uh, yeah. along your twenties. Yeah. I have after high school, first, first trip, me and my friend went to Thailand and India, mm-hmm. spent two months traveling around there. And that was awesome. I'd been to Syria, um, and Lebanon in my childhood. Mm-hmm. And then after Thailand and India, came back and then yeah, I went to study overseas. And so travel around Europe for a bit and then set Sick. up in Barcelona. Yeah. How did you find that? That would have been oh, an awesome experience. Incredible, man. Mm. Incredible. Like talking about independence, mm. that is the recipe for growth, like living in another country. You grow so much. And obviously, like, yeah, the people there, I met beautiful people. You really have to put yourself out there to meet anyone. Like if mm. you could go that whole time living in another country and you could not make a friend if you really wanted to, yeah, you know, but you, so it was just fantastic. And Barcelona is a beautiful place. It's never, never rains. Like it was winter, Sick. dead of winter, 12 degrees, but blue sky, sun shining. You still roll around with the top off if you really beautiful. wanted to. It was just a beautiful place. And then. Yeah, Spain, the culture there, it's just really nice. Mm. And um, yeah, and traveling around there was the rest of Europe was also like just, yeah, super special. And, you know, like 2018, what a year, man. <laughs> it was such Agreed. a good year. Very fun year. Such a good year. And yeah, and after that trip, Kira and I have gone to Cambodia. We've done, what else have we gone? We went back to Thailand. And this year I'm going to South America with some mates. So that's going to be fun, dude. Yeah, I'm really looking forward Especially to that. Especially with how hard you've been working. Like mm-hmm. you've been absolutely putting in the hours, you know, pretty, pretty nonstop from, from what I'm hearing. And that's going to be so fun, man, just to be with your, is it all basically your best mates? Yeah. Or, yeah. Five of my dude, best mates. It's going, so. to be the, it's going to be awesome. Um, cannot tell you how excited I am. Yeah. It's like to feel the uh, sense of adventure that, it comes with traveling, but also mm. traveling around a place like South America where mm. adventure is like such a core part of that level of travel. And it's kind of, it'll be fun as well because it's going to be slightly uncomfortable mm. because it's not like Europe where it's, you know, it's very yeah. touristy. They're used to it. It's like, it's a bit edgy, yeah. which will make it so much more fun. Yeah. you got to be on so your toes cool. a bit. It's, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. It's funny. We are, it, it's like, I guess in the lead up, you're trying to talk to people mm. And just get their feel of things. Everyone that we've spoken to that hasn't been mm-hmm. to South America is like, whoa, like you got to watch out, man. It's really dangerous there. And then everyone that we've spoken to that has been, mm. it's like, it's sick. You, yeah. like, 
yeah, nothing bad happened to me. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Oh, there might be like, you know, if you're going to, if you want to find trouble, you can find trouble. Just like keep your head on you. But it's Close. We, nothing went wrong in our trip. It was such a good time. Oh. Um, yeah, I'm really excited. Dude, that's going to be so are. good. Yeah. I can't wait to hear the, the stories. It's, it's amazing every time I love like when a friend goes overseas because mm. they always just come back just to, like just grown like yeah. in some aspect or some way. So I, I'm looking forward to, to hearing the stories when you get back. Man. Yeah, man. We'll yeah. share it. 100%. We'll share it for sure. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there'll be some gold. 100%. <laughs> be some gold. Now, I want to touch on as well, man. Yeah. You've started a business this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the matcher company which is awesome guys i will uh i'll put a link in somewhere related to the podcast so you guys can check it out oh, dude appreciate that. tell me about that process of starting a business when the idea came about and yeah just what you've learned through the through the process so my friend joel mm-hmm. and i so joel i'm also going to south america with mm-hmm. we started business last year we just using our skills i was again i was getting a bit over the work I was in. I was like, okay, this, the only way out is if I start a business. Mm-hmm. And then Joel had just uh, completed, become a UX designer. And so we had quite complementable skills. So he d- decided to set up this uh, small business, creating websites, essentially creating online businesses for our clients. So if someone... Maybe they didn't, there's technically they were a bit um, slow. They didn't know how to use the internet or didn't know what platforms to use. They could come to us and we would set their business up. Oops, we could set their business up uh, on the online world, mm-hmm. give their branding, logo, all the rest. And so we did that and got a couple uh, clients out of it. And then we, one of the issues with what I was not enjoying about the work I was doing is that I was in a service based industry. So, I was at the I was at the mercy of I was always at the mercy of someone else, mm-hmm. and I'd always have to explain everything I was doing to someone else, and mm-hmm. that was kind of in the business that we had just set up. That was another thing that we'd fallen into, mm-hmm. and then we also decided that we needed to set up our own brands as just an example for the portfolio of this business. So in an, in doing that, we set up uh, eleven ninety one matcha. And so like we, we're just going to showcase what we can do, the brands that we can create. And then people come if they're unsure about working with us, like, oh, this is what they've done. And then through doing that, we actually realized we really just prefer this type of um, business model, you know, mm-hmm. selling the product, not selling a service. Mm-hmm. And so we ditched the other one and just put all our eggs into the matcha business. So, yeah, it was pretty, I guess, being able to do it with someone else is has its rewards and obviously has its challenges too. And a lot of the challenges is like finding time to link up, especially when you're both working in other mm-hmm. jobs, finding the time, spare time where you can work and collaborate together. But it's been great. Like Joel is such a fantastic person to work with and he has taught me a lot, especially about being dependent mm-hmm. and like not needing to always be hyper independence yep. and like just doing everything yourself you know you can't ask for help but yeah it's been a cool experience really cool experience it'd be really fun as well because you are such an independent person mm-hmm. finally being able to like call the shots not having to answer to people which would be awesome i can imagine oh, like growing up mm-hmm. i was told so many times that i have a problem with authority mm-hmm. 
mm. and you just like you roll your eyes a bit. You, know, mm-hmm. you, make, you know, boys make jokes about it and they still mm-hmm. make jokes about it. But one time we were at Flinders Street Station and I was skateboarding just on the platform and this mm-hmm. old man comes up to me. He's like, you know, you're not allowed to do that here. Like, shrug my shoulders. And he's like, you got a problem with authority, don't you? That's what this is. And I've never <laughs> heard it before until then. I'm like, geez. Like, mm-hmm. kind of like a bit of an eye opener but I was like oh mm-hmm. you know don't think anything at the time of course and then uh yeah growing up I was like geez I genuinely have a problem with authority like I mm-hmm. always have and so starting a business oh man it is the best Frank like, just being able mm-hmm. and then working casually at the same time it's mm-hmm. just like there's no no I just don't feel that pressure of like having or the anxiety of having to report into someone all the time or mm. anything like that or being at the mercy of anyone else I guess as well with the casual work is that you know that there's an end date because you can mm. end it at any time you're not in that full-time space where it's like yeah is this it oh my god I have to ask for leave or like mm. booking South America I was like sick, done just booked it you know what I mean so what a dream yeah. what a dream it's been fi- it's been so long since I've had the freedom to mm be able to do that and so getting back into that it's oh it's just been so nice and like really good for my mental health mm. i you obviously don't realize when you're in it but I, I knew that work was toxic and i knew that it was affecting me and for many other reasons but that run being able to have the freedom get the freedom back in my life mm. to just do what i want when i want mm-hmm. and there's obviously you know the fine that's at the cost of financial security mm-hmm. but oh, i wouldn't trade it I really wouldn't trade it. I feel like financial security, though, for men is like a that's a real trap yeah. because you lose your edge. Yeah. I feel like we work really well where there's this pressure of like kind of that do or die. Where mm-hmm. it's like if you're if you don't do the right things, if you're not making good choices, you could lose everything. Yeah, <clears throat> and I feel like for men, that's actually where we thrive when we get comfortable. Comfort is the silent killer. Of all males, yeah, because we lose that spark, man. We lose that, like, exactly that edge. Exactly. And I bet that's been awesome for you, man. Going from you were saying that you were struggling to get out of bed mm. to then now, I bet your your whole vitality in life must just be a bit more switched on now. Sick, yeah, man, for mm. sure. You're so right. It is, uh, you know, you always hear those stories of people they found they struck their gold when they were kind of backed into a corner. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying backed in a corner, like. You know, things are still quite comfortable. I'm in a really privileged position with work and mm-hmm. and all the rest. But yeah, dude, having that financial security that I used to have and just being able to go through the motions all the time, it really, it was just like, I guess the metaphor of like a droplet just trickling into this bucket all the time, mm-hmm. all the time. And I knew that something was wrong. I knew that something, but I didn't know what. And mm-hmm. then eventually that bucket fills up and that was like the breaking point. Like, dude, mm. I cannot be in this position anymore. Like I really need to get out. Yeah. So I can actually do what I want to do and like follow my, pursue my ambitions. That's good. Yeah. It's it's kind of the point that you need to get to. Mm. It's you can get used to, we adapt very quickly to our scenarios in life and mm. good or bad. So when something's bad and you kind of adapt to it, you, you know, you can kind of justify why you're doing it, especially when there's financial security and, You'd be like, oh, well, like it's kind of like pretty easy. Like I'm pretty good at it. So like I'm not being challenged too much. I can get through it. But yeah, the cost of it for your life force and your energy. You look at people on the trains, man, when you go into the CBD in the morning. It's rough. scary. It's rough out there. 
it's a real like people are drained yeah. and they're drained because of that exact position that they're in where they're just like, all right, I'm paying the bills or, you know, they'll have the two days on the weekend where they get to let loose and feel that, you know, kind of empty, I guess, the bucket. Mm. But, man, there's always a tipping point. It's Yeah, dude. I remember so between so when I'd left that first, first anyway, when I'd left one of my marketing jobs, mm. I, in my four-week period, I just through the sheer uh, stroke of luck, mm. I was having no surgery. And so I got... And the no surgery was quite chill, but I got mm-hmm. two weeks uh, leave granted from the doctor. Mm-hmm. So two weeks of my four-week leave period, I could just do whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, so in that time I spent, you know, I was rolling around to cafes. I still, I had this thing on my nose, but mm-hmm. I was rolling around to cafes and just like working on our first business together. And mm-hmm. in that moment, in those moments, just like being in a cafe, doing what I wanted to do. And I, it was so effortless. It didn't feel like work. It felt, it. Oh, I just kept like the feeling, it's not bad. Like at the end of the day, I don't want to work. No one wants to work. I'd love mm. to be on a beach naked drinking <laughs> coconuts, you know what I mean? But <laughs> for, what it, for, for work, it was really just nice. And that was the moment I really knew i was like okay like this whole working for someone else thing has to come to an end eventually yeah and so i gave the second so that's when i gave the second uh or the last one that i left the last uh business a shot and yeah it was four months i was like all right i'm out of here yeah it's like literally it would have been maybe a month after i turned 25 as well and i was just like yep done there you go (laughs) i'm out man hitting 25 it's funny because that's when things really, that was November last year for me and yeah. I was like, all right, I'm 25. It was almost like a chapter had closed on my younger years and I'm like, I'm, I'm closer to 30 now. Mm-hmm. And that sort of switch in my head, I'm like, let's get, let's start getting stuff done. Like, it's, like I've been ignoring all my responsibilities. I've been just going through the motions, having all this fun. And yeah, 25, dude. Yeah, dude. Yeah. It's, it's real. I remember Kira turned 25 before me and she she was quite anxious like during that period mm-hmm. and she was yeah she, the, it would always pop up turning 25 and you would think it's bullshit mm-hmm. i'm just like oh really like turning 25 <laughs> is that big of a deal like surely your brain doesn't just like you know mm. on a dime to switch mm-hmm. like that hey eh? mm-hmm. but it did it yep. was literally like maybe two months leading uh, two or three months leading into 25 mm-hmm. I would, my brain was like you know, this isn't right, this isn't right, this isn't right. And as soon as I hit 25, I was like, boom. Yep. <laughs> Quarter life crisis, like <laughs> sorted out now. <laughs> Literally, dude. Oh. Just, it just really like throws everything up in your face and you're like, oh, I can't ignore this anymore. Oh, not at all. Yeah. It was wild. And I'm, yeah, I think it needs to be spoken about a bit more. Of course, yeah. <laughs> I think a lot, because again, I didn't. If Kira wasn't around, I wouldn't mm. have had any idea about this quarter life crisis thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe a few TikToks might have popped up. But yeah, yeah. yeah I think this is the first time I've spoken about it with a friend before. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. It's it's not really spoken about. I don't know. I haven't spoken to my mates about it either, to be honest. Mm. Like I, I'm i not sure if they went through something similar, or if, uh, but I, yeah, I'm going to make it my goal to find out. It's kind of um, like the Lion King when 
is it Simba? And he's going through his party boy phase mm. and he's just going crazy, like avoiding all his responsibilities. And then he finally like turns that corner to become a man. Yeah. I feel like we're kind of, we're getting into that zone now. Yeah. If you think yeah. about it, dude, in the next 10 years, we've got a family. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. You know but, what I mean? Yeah. But Less baby's going to start popping time, out. Yeah. Like there's, there's we'll a lot of getting married. It's all, yeah. The, yeah, man. Yeah, man. It's like, there's a lot of stuff. It's, it's really like every, day and every moment now is very important mm. like there's no days that i want to slip where you know i'm just like oh no like today i'll just like frolic and relax it's like my relaxing is when i'm knee deep in like really concentrated work yeah that's when i'm calm nice. and i'm stressed when i'm not doing that it's <laughs> which is crazy dude it's a it's a crazy switch do you, do you feel like you so you don't, do you ever feel like you just need like a day off? Do you ever feel like you're burning out or anything like that? I felt it this week where I kind of lost that slight edge a little bit. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm clearly like a little bit exhausted. Mm. But last night going to watch the jazz and being able to kind of celebrate the hard work mm. has now kind of relit it a bit. Nice. I think it's just me just going too far in that masculine yeah and not pulling it back which was it was interesting man yeah case yeah. in point right like you yep. yeah you're living it mm, literally and it's yeah you got to be you got to be balanced so for sure dude yeah for dude. Sure. yeah nice yeah i want to bring up as well kind of touching on masculinity what would you say through your own experiences and perspectives for a listener at home who's trying to get on their path who is needing some form of inspirational guidance, what would be your best piece of advice for them just to, to help them out along their journey? I think, and then just coming back to everything that I've spoken about at the start, do not get caught up in any of society's um, definitions of how you should be. Do like focus on yourself, you know, pick things apart, be critical. And just take the time to actually reflect inwards and understand the reason why you do things. And then through that, the byproduct of all of that is that you will find some sort of purpose or some sort of guidance in the direction that you need to go. Because there's so much out there. There is so much chatter and just confusion in what you should be doing, you know, whether it comes from social media, whether it comes from your family, whether it comes to you from your friends, expectations, whatever it might be, you just need to be honest with yourself. You need to really be critically honest with yourself. And I think once you do that, you everything else will kind of fall into place. Yeah, I love that. That's a great answer, dude. Yeah, it's yeah. A, I think that's just been, I think that's just the message that I've taken from life so far is that any time I've focused on someone else or focused on other opinions, you know, it's this whole notion of I don't care what you, I care about you, but I don't care about what you think. Like it's every time I've cared about what someone else has thought about me, I have just, it's just gone negatively, whether it has been my photography. I was such like, I love photography. It was my happy place. And it was a place where, you know, I was always alone. I could be independent. It was this beautiful thing. And that got ruined for me because I was just too focused on the Instagram likes. You know, once it turned, I was like, oh, I don't want to turn, I want to turn, you know, the classic millennial thing of how can I turn, make money out of this hobby. Mm -hmm. 
So I was like, geez, I need to make money out of this hobby. And as soon as I did that and I wasn't getting the likes I wanted and all the rest, it killed it. And God, I literally this year, that was, might've been three, it's my three years ago now, three, four years ago now. Mm-hmm. And this year is the first year where I've picked up the camera, like picked up the camera again and started posting on Instagram again. And oh, so much, like I've gotten so much joy just being out of being able to reclaim that. And it just, it's, I think that's just a, a really nice example of what happens when you focus on things that are out of your control. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's cool. It must be cool being able to go back into photography and just do it for the pure enjoyment of it yeah. and not have any pressure because as soon as you put pressure on something that is a passion or that you enjoy, it does not become fun. Yes. That's the key to life is like having fun. Like you can't take things so seriously and that's what we do though. You yeah. Know what I mean, we put this like all this pressure behind us to like, you know, we see social media just to be bigger than Ben Hur, but it's like, just enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like if you, I think naturally if you enjoy what you do, the things you put out, and enjoy the things you put out and you're proud of the things you put out mm. and you're just going to get better. Like that's the only, as practice moves on, there was this uh, study that I'd heard and someone, it was a photography professor, no less. I've been talking about this quite a bit recently with uh, friends. Uh, so he split the class into half. And so mm. one and a half of the class, he said, you can only take one photo for the whole semester. And you need to plan, just plan it out, do everything. You spend the whole semester planning, you take one photo. Then the other half, he said, I want you guys to take a hundred photos. Give me your favorite one. And with no planning, just take the photos. And at the end of the semester, the class, the half of the class had been told to take the hundred photos performed miles better than the class was told to take one photo and just plan for that one photo. Mm -hmm. And it just shows the power of, doing like you just do do your thing just enjoy it so uh, what i was trying to say is if you keep just doing your thing you're just going to get better naturally it's going to come naturally and eventually mm-hmm. if you know you might get that uh you might get that uh, reward or you might get that uh acknowledgement from the mm-hmm. community that you're uh, you might be after and like deep down and it'll just it'll come so of course yeah like we just just stay on your course enjoy it enjoy it while it's uh enjoyable so to speak of course, yeah. I I couldn't agree more, man. I feel like remember when I I moved to Melbourne and I really wanted to be a DJ, wanted to do producing, mm. and the whole time it was not fun because mm. I was putting all this pressure on myself. And what I've loved about doing this podcast is one, I find it so fun because I get to learn, I get to have deep, insightful conversations, which is literally when my brain is present and operating, like when it's surface level. I struggle so hard to actually concentrate. So I'm having fun. I'm enjoying it. I have zero pressure because all I want to do is just showcase people's stories and have open conversations like we would have in any other setting, right? And I'm just doing. Like Mm. I'm just putting it out. I'm not worried if it's perfect. I'm not like, oh, crap, the lighting isn't like this or, oh, crap, I didn't like do this right. Like I'm just like, all right, cool. Like my first video podcast was the most dog shit video quality. I literally was like, oh, screw it. I was put on my iPhone, the shadow. You couldn't even see my face for half of it. I'm like, 
but that's that's fine. Like it's I just, fine. It's fine. Perfectionism is everyone's worst enemy. Like such a trap. Everyone's worst enemy. Yeah. Some of the uh like this YouTuber that I follow, mm. he did a or someone like did an expose of his mm-hmm. his setup. And he literally the setup is like this dingy little uh camera, just mm-hmm. this dingy little camera put on on a tiny tripod. Mm-hmm. In front of like, and he doesn't have a nice computer. Like he's just mm-hmm. got like a you know the computer you're probably playing on as a kid. He doesn't mm-hmm. have like this ten thousand, twenty thousand dollars setup. Mm-hmm. And this dude's got millions of followers, millions. Yeah. And he's just like, because he that's all you don't. It's not about like perfectionism. It's not about all these things. He just gets the job done. You know, it's just getting things out there. Yeah, man. I it's, feel like especially perfect. something like his podcasts or just like anything that yeah. is contributing to like the benefit, so to speak. You know, you're sharing these. You're sharing stories. You're sharing, of course. He's like, yeah, insights into people's lives mm-hmm. and you know lessons that can be learnt out of it. Yeah, and that's that's always going to be motivating as well. Of course, man. Because I feel like if you come from an authentic place as well, and you're having genuine conversations, or you're making something that is genuine, people do not care if it's not perfect. Yeah, they're like they're actually relating. They can connect. They're drawn in by the fact that you're not faking it. Exactly. And it's that's what people, especially with social media now, it's just people are so exhausted from how fake everything's been. Yeah, dude. That, yeah, it's, man, it's, it's bad. Perfectionism's a trap. Yeah. It's a trap for a lot of people too. I see it with friends. They they struggle. And the, the camera, good night. <laughs> <laughs> they they struggle, dude, to, to do anything because they're trapped by this pressure of, I mean, it's, it's all internal, but they're just trapped by the pressure of having to be this thing because mm. social media says that, oh, if they're going to do music production, they're going to write a book or whatever, that they need to be at this level. Exactly. And just forget that like to get to that level, there's mm. all this you have to do. Right? Yeah. It's, cr- it's crazy, it's man. Nuts. Like we see the 1% of society yeah. and it's thrown in our faces on social media. Yeah. Those 1% people... Uh, the one percent for a reason. Yeah, you know exactly. I mean they're outliers, they're anomalies. It's like the David Goggins and the hyper disciplined, you know, super fit people. Mm. And you know, take it for example for gym, and everyone's struggling to do a gym routine. Yeah, it's like you're not you're not going to be like that probably ever. Mm. Just exactly. just be okay with that. Be okay with it's all about how you are developing as your own person. Sure, you're getting better over time. You might get more discipline over time, cool, but you're not going to be on that level and just be okay with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And you got to like, God, uh, what they say, comparison is the thief of joy, right? And you just got to remember these one percenters, like you don't know where they've come from. They've yeah. probably got million-dollar daddies who just like paid for their whole lifestyle and all they have to mm-hmm. do is take a few photos to convince people that their lifestyle is that. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's, yeah, it's just like this whole, and that, that hap- it's comparison. Comparison yeah. it really is so toxic. And that's, we're living in a world where comparison is front and center every day. You wake up, you're straight into comparing yourself with what's going on on social media. You look at the nice cars on the street. You're like, oh, why is that not me? Yeah. You know, things like that. It's just like, God, you just need to just accept, accept your journey as your journey. Mm-hmm. And you just need to, um, trust that like it's going to get you to where you need to be. It might not be where you want to be, but mm. like if you have the uh, ability to, you know, critically f- look back on yourself and like reflect mm. on it all, you'd be you'll you'll find a lot of I guess happiness in just understanding that like you are where you need to be. Hundred yeah. percent. It's very freeing when you mm. 
you almost stop resisting yeah. the, the present and just being really okay with the cards you've been dealt. Yeah. Especially these guys taking that accountability. I mean, like all how I've come to be in this point in time is all from me, all from my decisions. And I feel like the quicker that people just understand that concept, yeah, the quicker then they can start like making decisions to then maybe, you know, improve or to improve their life position. Yeah, sure. It's when you get caught up in comparing to everyone else, man, it's almost like a way of, I guess, procrastinating. Big time. It's a level, I think it's a level of like escapism almost, mm. just focusing on everything else, things that are out of your control, really. Mm-hmm. As soon as you're focusing on things that are out of your control, you're doomed. So true. Because you can't control them. What can you do? You know yeah. what I mean? It's not a, it's not a, there's literally nothing you can do. Genuinely though. <laughs> yeah. it's, I used to do that for the longest time, man. And I'd always like be pointing the finger or I'll just be like, you know, mm. why am I not like this? And yeah, you just got to. Just push through it. But it's, yeah. it's a, I think it's just a part of, I think that's a big part of growing up is that understanding that and like just learning how to navigate those things and yeah, deciding that if you are, if you are going to compare, you know, you can, you're comparing because you might be using it as a fuel for your motivation. Of course. Like nothing else really has no other purpose in life. hundred percent. Yeah. What do you, I'm, I'm curious for this next stage of life, you know, it's 25, you've had this huge point of reflection and development in your life. Say for the next five years or could it be the next stage, like what are you focusing on and what are you looking forward to the most? Oh, well, uh, I guess objectively, mm-hmm. Kira and I want to move overseas. So sick. that's uh, on the horizon in the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. And so until then, I want to create a source of income that can sustain me while traveling. Mm-hmm. I don't really want to get back into the need to work for someone else when I go overseas. Yep. And yeah, I guess just when with that and my, you know, the purpose I was speaking about and wanting to provide for the people I care about, just focusing on like building, building, it's, I guess when I say it and it's like, it is quite focused on money, yep. so to speak, but I, but you're building something. Building something that yeah. can allow the freedom of like the people I care about. And nice. so that's probably, that's going to be my focus. We're not, God, kids, I can't think of kids right now. Like mm-hmm. I really just have no desire for kids mm-hmm. and Kira. Well, you're, you're building the the foundation for then, to then set up for having kids and stuff. So this is kind <laughs> yeah. of like your doing stage, right? Yeah, it's kind yeah, of like head yeah. down, bum up. It's just like, let's, that's it. let's get, let's get shit done. And then, and then... Yeah, wedding as well. Kira and I aren't too fussed about wedding. Like we're just we're mm-hmm. really happy with our relationship. I my view of wedding is if I can't have the wedding I want, I don't want to have it. So Fair. you know, maybe I want to fucking have a two hundred thousand dollar wedding on Lake Como and just like pay for all my friends to come over. Don't. Maybe I want to do that. Maybe cool. maybe I just want maybe Kira and I will just elope and we'll just fly to like Greece and have a wedding somewhere randomly and like tell people they want to come, come tomorrow. So it's funny you say that. I literally said that when I get married, when I'm older, I'm going to elope and go to Greece. Oh, nice. Do it. Nice, yeah. man. It's, uh, yeah, it seems to be a pretty good option. 100%. Pretty good option and yeah. cheap and cheap. Like, of course. The amount of, people's, the amount of money people spend on weddings is yeah. frightening. 
Yes. Like you want to only do it once. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Like <laughs> just yeah. Anyway, that blows my mind. Like mm-hmm. might, I feel like the money could just be spent in like much more much pr- productive, more productive ways. places. Yeah. Hundred yeah. <laughs> percent, man. But I think that's it. I just want to uh, yeah create like some sort of source of income that can sustain my purpose and sustain my way of life. Awesome. Yeah. Do this. It's such an exciting part of life, like hitting that in that twenty five, closing the chapter, and it really is a building phase. Mm. And that's I've have that same viewpoint. All I'm thinking about is I just want to build something. Mm. I have no idea what that is in all honesty, but I'm just like I'm just gonna keep doing, keep providing, keep building a community, and man, there's just so much good that comes from it. Yeah, it's an exciting dude. part of life. Exactly. Yeah, it's exciting when you're building something. Of you know what I mean? Building something that's your own. I just want to say thank you so much for coming in and, and joining me today this has been such a amazing conversation and i've honestly learned a lot just from your insight and your perspectives man and yeah thank you so much and i'm sure the listeners at home have learned a lot too so i appreciate you coming on and yeah for having your time today dude i'm yeah happy thanks for having me to start and yeah it's been like again i am really grateful for the opportunity i've had that you've given me to reflect on like my life and what I've been able to come up with, I guess, because it is going to give me a lot of guidance going forward too. Oh, so awesome, yeah, man. thanks heaps for this experience. Oh, of course, man. Uh, no worries at all. Good luck for the future. Thank you, yeah. And uh, listeners at home, thank you so much and we'll speak to you next time. Peace. <laughs>